Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study. It is uh, outstanding to be with you again. We are going through the Revelation. Uh, Once again, last week we thought we might not get all the way through 7, and we did. Our goal today is Revelation 8. We may or may not make it all the way through it. It's all based on if I get to going and, and can't get this thing back in the middle of the road, because there is a lot to cover. We're talking about the Revelation. There's a lot of depth to every single word and sentence that we are going to cover today. So we'll try to get through eight. We definitely will get into eight today. If you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, I'll try not to take up too much time either, but there are two things I want to make you aware of. This week, of course, um, uh, this Bible study is brought to you by themanchurch.com. For those of you that may be from other places, you're like, what is themanchurch.com? Well, simple. Just go to the website, themanchurch.com. We are a men's resource uh, for a men's discipleship strategy that you can implement into your church or into your, your, your small group, into your community. Everything you need to know about that strategy and all the different resources we provide, you can go to themanchurch.com. Now, some of the things that we we do, other than our resources, we do send out teachers and speakers uh, for services and for events. And uh, there's one that you can check on this week. There is a man church that is going on in Boaz, Alabama. That'll be Saturday the 22nd. Uh, at First Baptist Church, Boaz, Alabama. That's B-O-A-Z, but if you are around that area, you know what I'm talking about anyway. Uh, And Andy Blanks from the Rick and Bubba. uh, You've heard him uh, when he's been on the show a few times, but mainly from themanchurch.com. He handles uh, overseeing all of our um, study guides from our curriculum. Uh, He's an outstanding teacher, uh, and he will be there uh, speaking to those men. If you want to get there and you're in that area, uh, you go see Andy Blanks this Saturday night. Details at themanchurch.com under events. Now, my wife and I are doing a marriage conference on uh, Friday. That'll be down near Tampa. We'll be in Brandon, Florida, uh, in the Tampa-Clearwater area, and we'll be at Bell Shoals Church there doing a one-day marriage conference. That is Friday the 21st of April this week, and they still have room if you want to come. Uh, you'll find that link at burgessministries.com. That's my last name, burgessministries.com under events. Okay, So that's going on this week. If you want to look to other things coming up, all that can be found at both of those websites as well. So let's uh, let's do a word of prayer, and then let's jump right into the Revelation chapter 8. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the men that have made their way into the room and, and for their commitment to this Bible study, Lord. And thank you for those that are watching and listening uh, uh, all over the world, uh, either on our YouTube channel uh, or on our podcast archive. Uh, however they are here, Lord, I know that you have placed them where they are right now. May you prepare their hearts, and Lord, help me through the Holy Spirit to teach this correctly. In your name we pray, amen. So let's talk about what we're, we're doing in Revelation chapter 8. Uh, Revelation chapter 8, uh, you know, we're, we're looking, remember, the, the, the future day of the Lord, which um, uh, this, this, this is going to end um, all people who, who rebel against God, uh, the 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 era of of mankind, the created human beings in our fallen flesh, that is going to be eradicated. The the end of man's days uh, will be coming. The end of Satan's rule on earth will be over. God will take back uh, the earth in a final holocaust of wholesale destruction. As I've said many times, do not let the tribulation be your plan. You don't want any part of this. So the first five seals, uh, these are p- what, what uh, commentators and theologians call the preliminary judgments. Uh, they, they're going to lead to the full outpouring of divine wrath. These are almost been like warm-ups. To, to, it, it intensifies as we go. 
Uh, and then the divine wrath is coming out on what the prophets have been warning us about and been showing us, and Jesus talks about in Matthew 24, and that is the day of the Lord. That's when the the, the highest intensity of his divine wrath comes down uh, on the earth. Uh, the sixth seal, which we talked about in seven, uh, was the beginning, I mean, uh, yeah, in, in, in Revelation 7, is the beginning of the day of the Lord judgment. So that's the beginning of this final part, the great tribulation. And we, we just studied last week, it was so terrifying, uh, the judgments of the sixth seal, that people, uh, they, they, they were forced, okay, they were forced to acknowledge God as the source. Okay, so so there, there's no longer. Uh, I wonder who's doing this. Everybody knows that God is doing this, and so the 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 seventh seal that is coming next will be the final seal on that scroll. You remember we talked about where where who who is worthy, and the scroll is here. Who is worthy uh, to take the scroll? Who's worthy to remove these seals? The scroll represents that deed. Of, 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 of that God we that you know Satan took the earth away his rule began because of his deception in the garden so he has the deed and now Jesus has gone to the cross he has defeated that sin he has defeated eternal death and now here is the moment that Jesus the lamb takes the deed and he says it will return to its proper place uh, God will take ownership of what is hers I mean what is his and he has to refine the earth he has to refine the earth into a new heaven a new earth and uh, but he is taking ownership back and the final seal will be that uh, so and, and if you want to look back when we first covered that if you missed those we talk about this deed uh, back in chapter 5 verse 1 so the, the day of the Lord is going now it intensify, and it will expand this taking back dramatically. The final seal uh, will, will fully be the sweep of the remaining d- divine judgments, and, and what's going to happen is this will now be the time of the great tribulation, and this seventh seal is going to include the trumpet, and the bowl judgments. When I say bowl, I'm from Alabama, B-O-W-L, a bowl, like eat out of, okay? Now, I will tell you, the trumpets are bad, the bowls are worse, okay? So that, that's what we're going to see, and, uh, and this will be uh, all the last uh, various amounts of time, and, and this is going to go through many chapters rolling through all of the uh, bowl judgments and all of the trumpets, okay? So we're about to go... We're about to go on a ride through the Revelation. This seventh seal is going to take some time. The divine judgment goes on for a while. Okay, so um, and this will take us all the way. If you're getting your timeline right, and a lot of you keep asking about the timeline, stay with me. This seventh seal will be divine judgment. Uh, this this is the as intense as it's going to get. As as Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 24. This part of the tribulation, if my father were to extend it, no one could survive it. Okay, this whole thing. So we're now moving. When this ends, all of those that have refused to repent, when this ends, they're all everybody's going to be destroyed. Okay, and then that'll lead us into Jesus's millennial reign. So this is taking us all the way to the millennial reign. So keep that in mind. 
There's there's four key words um, uh, on, on some of the commentaries. I, I, I was looking at John Phillips this week. I was looking at John MacArthur this week. Uh, I'm looking at some other commentaries. And, and the four key words that are going to happen in this is going to be right out of the gate, silence. Uh, then there's going to be sound. Then there's going to be supplication. And then there's going to be a storm. They, these are going to be the four words that are going to carry us through this. So let's start, which is really, really I mean, I, I was kidding around, and one of the guys here in, uh, in in the Bible study last week, week, I won't name him so that he will not get in trouble at home, uh, pastors love to make, a, when they're sitting around, a little joke about uh, Revelation 8, chapter 1. I've already made the joke on the show today, so if you missed that, it's over. I'm not going to make it again now, okay? So, because um, honestly, all kidding aside, and there's nothing wrong with, with us having a laugh here or there, God has a sense of humor, or we wouldn't have one. But it can be corrupted just like everything else, or it can be used in, in the right way. I think right now we probably need to get serious about it because this silence is a really big deal. Uh, so look at verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Real specific. That, that blows me away that John is aware of even how long it was. Okay, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit. So the Lord opens the seventh seal, and the response is quite unique. Because what have we seen before this? We've seen a lot of noise, a lot of worship, a lot of shouting. Uh, and, and, and so what we've seen is, is singing, worship, shouting. Uh, we've heard a great deal of noise in heaven, joyful noise. But after all that loudness, as the full fury of the final judgments is about to be released, we get silence. How'd that feel to you? Silence. Have you ever heard the term, what was the old commercial campaign, if you really want to get somebody's attention, whisper? Silence. And so... What is this silence about? Well, it's really quite obvious because of what's about to happen. This silence is the response, not just of John. It's the response of the four creatures. It's the response of the 24 elders. It's the response of angels that cannot be numbered. All who were just celebrating, they even were celebrating the justification and the purity of God's judgment. Finally, they're celebrating even judgment against all who oppose God. But when the grim reality of the destruction that they see on that scroll, when it's open, when they see what God's about to do, it is so grim that their response is silence. Oh, have you, have you ever had somebody tell you something that was so horrible you just had to sit for a minute and go, man, wow, I, I got I to take that in. I don't even have a response to that. Not only does John not have a response, 24 elders, four creatures, angels that can't be counted, they don't have a response. Just complete silence. 
this reduces them to silence, a half hour. Now you say, well, half hour is not that long. Well, it's not unless it's silent. Now, it, you know, if, it, you know I, I don't know if you've ever had to hear nothing for an amount of time and sit silent. When you're sitting silent, a half hour is a long time. It's not a long time if you're active or watching something or being entertained. But if you're just, I, I want you to think about what's just happened in, in heaven. Picture the, the, the most incredible worship service you could ever imagine, and all of a sudden it just goes to nothing. And that nothing is a response to what they see on the scroll. Oh, here it comes. This is worse than anything we've seen. We, we've even had some that we were celebrating, but this one is so severe, we, can't, we have no response. The calm before the storm. Yes, a short time, half hour in reality, but a half hour of silence is a long, long time. Habakkuk says this in chapter 2, verse 20, if you want to write that down, the prophet, the Lord is in his holy temple, and let the earth be silent before him. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 76, 8 through 9, the earth feared and was still when God arose in judgment. John is showing us each minute of silence seems to increase a sense of agonizing suspense. The hour of God's final judgment has come. And, and then what is that going to mean? That, here's what that's going to mean. The saints will be vindicated. Sin will be punished. Satan will be vanquished. And Christ will be exalted. And here it comes. Think about what it must have been like for John to hear about this. And all of a sudden he is shown, and there's the moment where you go, here we go. It's here. The greatest event since the fall is about to take place, and all heaven is seen by John. Listen to this. Picture it. Chills are running all over me right now, and I've been studying this all week, and they're back. John looks, and he sees all of heaven, which is a lot. All of heaven completely goes silent, and he sees them all waiting in suspenseful expectancy. You ever, you ever just lean in, you go, here it goes. It's almost like you ever been on one of those roller coasters that you asked the question as it clicked up to the top of the hill, what have I done? And then all of a sudden it kind of comes over the top of the hill and you're like, here we go. That's really what he sees on a scale much bigger than that, you know, weak analogy. But, but have you ever had that? where you're just leaning in, and, and here we go. So um, verse 2, Then I saw the seven angels who, stood, who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. So now make a note, because don't miss this. This makes them very specific. Ain't these seven angels who stand before God, 
He's saying that in the present tense. Uh, that indicates that they've been in the presence of God for some time. It's not like they just arrived. They're always in the presence of God. But he also sets them apart from the other angels that we have, you know, the ones that can't be counted. Scripture tells us that there are ranks and orders of angels. We know this. Uh, if you want to go to some Scripture that, that tells you about that, Genesis 3.24 uh, lets you know that. Uh, we, and, uh, and we talk about the cherubim, Isaiah in, in 6, you know, that vision of the throne room in 6, uh, verse 2, the seraphim. Uh, we're told about archangels. Uh, Paul talks about them in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. Um, Jude 9 uh, tells us about throne. Thr- we, we know about thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. We find this in the letters from Paul to the Colossians in chapter 1, 16. Uh, we're, we're, ta- we're told about this in Ephesians 6, 12. What, what it was Paul tells us, look, there's stuff going on in dimensions that you can't see. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. So, so we know that the angels and the, and the battles that are going on, that they have ranks and orders. These seven seem uh, to represent one such order of high-ranking angel, angels that are kind of almost like these are the, the ones that are closest to me. They're in my presence all the time. And they're getting the seven trumpets, so they have to have some sort of high rank of all the angels to blow the trumpets. They get to do it. Uh, some commentaries say that Gabriel may represent this ranking, uh, that the one who stands in the presence of God, uh, because he seems to tell Zechariah that in Luke one nineteen, um, you know, he is a messenger. He is sent by God to Zechariah. Um, seven trumpets were given to them. Of course, the trumpets are going to represent judgments that are coming. Um, you know, this is interesting if you're a musician the trumpet is the most significant musical instrument in all of Scripture. It gets the biggest jobs, and it's associated with many different events. Um, that's gonna. It, that's how they would summon the congregation in Israel. You can find that in ten uh, Numbers ten two. They used it to sound the alarm in a time of war. Uh, uh, numbers also there, chapter ten verse nine, Second Chronicles thirteen twelve. Uh, Ezekiel talks about this in 33.3. Uh, also, the trumpets were huge in the religious feast. Uh, Numbers 10.10, 10, Psalms 81.3, uh, to announce news. Here we go. Uh, 1 Samuel 13.3. Uh, if there was, and I love this, because think about what we're doing right now. You know what else they were used for? To acclaim a new king. And uh, you, you, you find that going on in First um, Kings one thirty four, and also in verse 39. Also, it was used, which applies here too, trumpets were used in worship. Um, I know that there are some people that think that uh, the instruments ended in the New Covenant, but they were big in, in, uh, at one point. I'm not sure why they would go away, but that's certainly up to you. But First Chronicles 16.6 and verse 42, so they are used in worship. Zephaniah, in chapter 1, 14 through 16, he associates trumpets with the day of the Lord. That's Zephaniah 1, 14 through 16, and that's definitely where we are here. Also, Paul associates uh, trumpets to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two, and also to Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians four sixteen. And what does he associate it with? The rapture of the church.
So the trumpet's big. Uh, each trumpet unleashes a specific judgment of greater intensity than the first six. But, uh, but these trumpets, even though they're worse than what we've had so far, they won't be as bad as the bowls. But they're bad. It's, it's going to be the worst so far, and then the bowls will even be worse, okay, uh, as far as judgment. And, uh, and we won't get through with the seven bowls till we get to chapter 16. So that's how, that's how long this is about to run, okay? Uh, so the first four um, are going to destroy the earth's ecology, and we'll get to that. Uh, five and six will be demonic destruction and, and of humanity. Uh, and then the seventh, a trumpet will introduce the final outpouring of God's wrath and then into the seven bowl judgments. So the seventh trumpet will take us into the bowls. Okay. But uh, first four are going to take out the earth's ecology and it's going to be unbelievable. Uh, and then five and six does away with demonic and human uh, humans who have all rebelled against him. So they don't blow the trumpets immediately. I, I find that interesting. Uh, they wait on next what we're talking about supplication and what is that a time of prayer so look at three verse three and another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne now verse four and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints it is identifying what this is rose before god from the hand of the angel. So God sees another angel. This doesn't seem to be one of the seven. Some people will, will try to make this out to be Jesus. Most of the commentaries and theologians that I've read say that that's not going to stand up because he's already been referred to as the lamb. Uh, and you'll also see that he would also not be called another angel. John would not likely refer to Christ as, then there was some other angel uh, with a censor. Uh, so this is not Jesus. Uh, this is another angel with this, because uh, Jesus is the Lamb. Jesus is Jesus is he's 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 taking the scroll and showing it to us. So anyway, the altar is heaven's altar that reflects the altar that was in the temple, which was made of gold. You remember, do you remember those of you that have studied the Old Testament? Do you remember the Holy of Holies? It will say there was a whole process about the Holy of Holies, and and this is being seen in front of John right now. Now praise. Our Lord in Jesus, our Lord Jesus, because He's taken that away. We now walk into the presence of of the Holy of Holies, and He is our entrance into that. Remember the the veil was split when He said it is finished, and the earthquakes were going. That veil came right down the middle. Now, now uh, sinful man can be redeemed and walk into the presence of the Holy of Holies. We don't need a priest to do that for us, uh, because we have the High Priest in Jesus. But He's seeing how this was done. And so the Holy of Holies was, was when you were the, as near to God as you could be and the golden censer, all of this reflects the priestly duties in the temple. The incense, as we're told is representing the prayers of the saints. That's, that's why these priests would do the incense. Here come the prayers of the saints to God. Okay. Going up into heaven. This is what Zechariah was doing when he got the word from Gabriel that uh, his wife, who he thought was barren, was going to give birth to John the Baptist. You know, when you, when you think about John, I want you to think about this. We're getting ready for the day of the Lord, okay? The whole Bible is about Jesus. We know, we know this. The whole Bible is taking us to God's plan of redemption. 
Think about Zechariah, this scene that John's seeing that is the prayer, the supplication to God before we blow that first trumpet, before God's final judgment, the most intense fury of, of, of righteousness, divine judgment goes down on all of those who would not what? Repent. What was John the Baptist's message? Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Repent. And here is that scene that Zechariah was standing there doing when Gabriel says, your wife's pregnant with the one that will go before the Lord and tell the world to repent. And why is God's divine judgment now being poured out on those people that still remain? They would not repent. If that didn't fire you up, I mean, that's uh, I'll, I'll have to check on you. Uh, so here the angel took much incense, and John says that, much incense. This symbolizing, symbolizes the multiplying of prayers of God's people given to him when we do not know this for sure, but right now these very prayers are going before God himself. The prayers that are going up are the prayers to destroy sin, for sin to be defeated. And you know what else the saints are praying right here? For our deaths to be avenged. And listen to this. Christ to return. The prayers of the saints, the cries from the great tribulation against the persecutors who persecuted them and killed them, all who blaspheme God and all who blaspheme Christ, these prayers are calling for God to pour out his divine judgment on them. The incense seems to be provided by God himself since it is in heaven. And you know what this shows? This time I hear your prayers and I'm going to act. What has he been telling them up to this point? Just a little longer. Just a little longer. Just a little longer. And this time he says, I hear you, and I'm going. Your prayers are about to be answered. The age of grace is over. Now comes wrath. The prayers are answered, and God moves. This time, instead of saying, wait a little longer, he says, I agree with you. It's time. Really what he's saying is, y'all finally agree with me, because he had the time all along. So this is really a powerful moment. He agrees with them. So the question from chapter 6, verse 10 of the Revelation, the answer to the question, how long, is finally answered. How long? Now. No more waiting. And then comes the storm. Verse 5. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So an angel, the one with the censer, tosses a fireball down on the earth. The censer he fills with fire from the altar. Don't miss that. That's usually linked with the prayers of God. People here become a symbol of God's wrath. You know what you know he takes that censer? Here are your prayers to God. 
You know what he's told me to do this time? He's not telling me to point at you and say, wait a little longer. He said, how about this? It's on. I just threw your prayers down on the earth. You, you prayed for his wrath? Done. It now starts. God's judgment is a direct response to these prayers. James 5, 16. I love this, and you may have heard this before. James 5, 16, you know what it speaks to? The effectiveness of the prayers of a righteous man. James says a right, the prayers of a righteous man can accomplish much. So we certainly don't tell God what to do, but if, if you are a person who's been praying a lot and you haven't seen anything change, it may be because you're not a righteous man or a righteous woman. Uh, that may be why your prayers aren't heard. Remember what Clarence, uh, not Clarence Larkin, do you remember what um, Ray Hessian said in the Calvary Road? He talked about unrepented sin that we keep in our life. And he says we keep asking God to fill us with his Holy Spirit to answer our prayers. He goes, and we go up and want him to fill dirty cups. He didn't fill dirty cups. He only fills clean ones. So if there's sin in our lives that is deliberate and perpetual and unrepentant, you think God hears those prayers? He doesn't. He fills clean cups, not, not dirty cups. And um, so the silence, by the way, has ended now. We have peals of thunder. He says, I hear rumblings. Uh, there's flashing lightning. And he lets us know there's an earthquake. So we, we've got thunder. We've got sounds. We've got lightning. And this, this represents the awesome majesty of God's glorious throne. The earthquake, we do not know the severity here. It isn't recorded, but if this is the, the seventh seal, it's likely uh, that is, is at least as bad as the one from the sixth seal. Since it's the final judgment, it may have even been worth, but worse, but John doesn't really indicate that. He just says it's an earthquake. Uh, but we can kind of deduce that from the fact that I don't think God's going to pull back and do one less severe here, you know, since he's moving in intensity. Uh, Despite now, this this is what's going to blow your mind. It's going to blow your mind. But if you've ever dealt, has anybody here ever dealt with human beings? Anybody? <laughs> this may not be as surprising to those of us that have dealt with human beings. Okay, and and then we reflect on our own lives when people were trying to deal with us. Okay. Despite the terrifying judgments that have already taken place. The ones that are going now, they're obviously from God. There's been worldwide preaching of 144,000 evangelists at least. Okay? The gospel has been preached as God's judgment is coming down. You've heard the old, there's no atheist in a foxhole. With all that has happened up to this point, including this, people... Some of them will still stubbornly cling to their sin. I'm not letting it go. I will tell you why I did not repent until 1996. Because every period of my life before that, I loved sin more than I did Jesus. I believed in Jesus. I knew all about Jesus, just like demons, just like Satan. But I did not submit to his authority, and I did not repent of my sin 
because I knew that redemption would cost me my sin, and I loved my sin more than Jesus. I thought life with this sin was better than him taking this sin and my life abiding in him. Now, that sounds idiotic to me now, but there was a time, and there were plenty of people who came to me and said, man, I'm telling you. Um, and, and, of course, guess what happened? Just like these judgments are intensifying, my life of sin intensified. It started out as I just kind of made one little veer statement. You know, I'm a pretty good kid, just not as good as I used to be, but not all that bad. And before I knew it, 13 years into that, when I was standing before another opportunity to repent, I had become a human being that I didn't even recognize. I went from, you know, there's there's limits to what I'll do to I'll do anything. You know why? Because that's the deception of sin. It's never satisfied. That's why people start out smoking dope and end up on heroin. It's never enough. You know, they said the thing that addicts people to heroin, the, why, the reason why they can't let it go, they never get as high as they did the first time they did it. And they chase that high over and over again, and they can never get that first high again. And that's what they're chasing. Because the first high was wonderful. I've heard it described as it's, it's the way you always wanted to feel. Who's that sound like? That's straight from the pits of hell. This is the, does God really want to deny you this? Isn't this great? Until you're dead in a gutter with a needle hanging out of your arm. You know? But see, that's the deception of sin. And believe it or not, unfortunately, I can, I can, I can believe that this really happens. That there's people still saying, I know you exist. I knew you existed. I know this is from you. But we still love our sin more than you, and we're not repenting right now. We're angry with you that you're going to hold this against us. And they stand defiantly. Verses 6 through 13. If you don't believe that, look at John 3, 19 and 20. You know, we love to talk about John three sixteen, and we should, but read the rest of it. You'll see why John three sixteen is so wonderful. You know what? Uh, don't forget the rest of it because you're going to see those who reject Jesus are going to be killed by God's judgment. That part, people don't put on their faces at football games. Uh, but, 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 but John 3, 19 through 20 is talking about God's wrath, not as popular a subject. Nobody makes T-shirts and bumper stickers that have John 19, 3, 19 and 20. Uh, but maybe we should. Uh, so uh, verses 6 through 13. I think, I think we can get it, Adler. If not, we'll, we'll get some more in anyway. Uh, and I'll let you know where we stop. Now, the seven angels who had uh, the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. Here we go. Okay. Uh, verse 6, the earthquake is, is is the go sign to prepare those with the trumpets to blow the trumpets. Okay. Look at verse 7. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and, and these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass, underlying green grass, because I, I want to clarify something for you so you don't get confused, was burned up. All right, so let's deal with, let's deal with the, we, the earthquake was the signal. We're going to blow the first trumpet. Hell is always associated in Scripture with divine judgment. Let me give you some verses to go and say, well, I wonder if Burgess just came up with that. I did not. Exodus 9, 13 through 25, hell's associated with judgment. Uh, Job 38, 
verses 22 and 23, hell associated with judgment. Psalm 105, verse 32. I can do more, but that's enough for you. Uh, also fire, same thing. Uh, Genesis 19, 24, fire associated with judgment. Psalms 11, 6, fire associated with judgment. Ezekiel 38, 22, fire associated with judgment. But here we see fire mixed with blood. Okay? Write this down and go take a look at this. Joel chapter 2, verse 30. Guess what Joel's going to say? Fire mixed with blood is associated with the day of the Lord. It's almost like the things the prophet said really happened. Okay? So, obviously, this could be the fruit from the massive earthquake, meaning these are the aftermath of that. We sure Volcanoes certainly would be coming with that. Whatever uh, was thrown from the sky by God will have devastating effects. One-third of the earth will burn. That means the soil will be unusable. A third of the trees gone. That means any food or benefits that these trees provided, a third of them gone. All the green grass, emphasize green, burned. So uh, I, I do want to sh- share something with you, okay, because I, I, I don't want you to be confused on the green grass because in a minute we're going to run into something later in the study, and, and you're going to see that you'll go, well, is there conflict? And the answer is no. Uh, you're going to see uh, a dilemma when we get to chapter 9, verse 4, but don't let it be a dilemma because and when we get to Revelation 9, 4, you're going to see green grass appear again. Okay, because it says all the green grass is gone, not a third. But then it's going to show up again. Uh, so let's, let's clarify. There's there's a couple of considerations, and this comes from MacArthur's um, um, uh, commentary, but this is Robert Thomas that wrote this. Two considerations help to resolve this quandary. First, a time lapse between the first and fifth trumpet does allow time for grass to be regrown after the burning, but before the assault of the fifth trumpet. Second... In most parts of the earth, grass is not green the year-round, but is seasonal. Burning of all the grass that is green during a particular season would still leave the remaining untouched until its season of dormancy is over. So so you see, whether the effect portion was one-third or some other percentage, the text really doesn't say. It just says that the grass is gone. And, and it says that all that is green at the time of the plague and these two explanations will keep us from getting to chapter 9. You'll go, hey, wait a minute, green grass, the grass is back. Well, it could have grown back during the time, or the grass that is gone right now is grass that's green when this comes down, and this other grass gets green in another time in another part of the world. So this, they're not in conflict is the part I want to tell you when we get there, because you all may remember that. And that's from Robert Thomas, if you want to check that too. Um, and because we're going to see in chapter nine that grass comes back, fire from the sky um, causes raging infernos that consume a third of all the forest and all the vegetation. Uh, I will say this, and I, and I agree uh, that when this happens, and there and and there's people still alive at this point, their next Earth Day is going to be a real downer. Okay, uh, when they go to to have Earth Day. The way the earth is going to look after this one is going to really leave a lot to be desired on Earth Day, okay? Uh, maybe worshiping the earth was a mistake, uh, but uh, it will be a gloomy one after this. So when, when you look at this, and some of the guys are asking, why a third? Why does God pick a third? 
there really is no commentary or theologian who can say for sure other than some who say, well, it's obvious that God loves the number three. That represents the Trinity. Okay, so th- there's that. Uh, Jesus, of course, three days and, and rose. So that when God decides to say, I'm going to take out a portion of the earth, he would pick a third because of the number three. But nobody really knows. Here's what you need to know. A third of the earth is a lot. A lot's gone. Okay, and, and, and it is. it should, again, have been a wake-up call. Uh, so verses 8 and 9, the, the, the second trumpet. The second, second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, uh, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now, this is pretty – we don't have to be some deep theologian to look and say, this looks an awful lot like a meteorite. Uh, John has seen it. He says it's a ball of fire, like a building coming out of the sky, and it hits the seas. Um, and and, uh, and it's, it's a great mountain. I'm sorry, not a building. Great mountain with fire. So asteroid, meteorite, something like that. Finally, one uh, hits. You know, because what do we hear all the time? That was close. You, ever, you, you heard that when they, well, it's coming up. It's close. There's a, there's a meteor head for us. And then then you know, I talked to Bubba, who loves all this kind of stuff. I said, how close? Uh, so many million miles. I go, that's not close. That's not close. And and so I got, let me know when it's closer than that. Well, this time, I don't know that there'll be a warning because I don't know how the grid's working at this time. But if there's a warning that, hey, we got a meteor coming, this one's going to hit. Okay? And it hits, uh, and a third of the sea becomes like blood. Now, part of this is, is pretty straightforward. This blood is because think of how many aquatic animals are in that sea. Uh, so there's going to be a mass of blood. You also see... And I know sometimes some of you don't like this, and that's fine. I'm, I, I'm certain that when we get to the new heaven, new earth, based on things that we read and we look forward to that, that we'll see animals in perfection. All of this strife between us appears to be gone. Glad of that. But I'll tell you one thing you need to be aware of as far as the ones that are here right now, they're not offered redemption. I mean, you know, it's be careful with the pecking order. They're here for us to enjoy, and they're a gift but if you think, even Jesus says, when he talks about the sparrows, my father knows when a sparrow falls, and you don't think you're more valued than a sparrow? And some of y'all think we're not, okay, and you think that they're to be worshipped and elevated to human form. They're offered no redemption, okay? Uh, when this comes down, you never see a point where they you know, have 144 evangelists trying to evangelize the aquatic creatures and the whales or evangelize the dogs and the cats. That's not going on. They're evangelizing the people because the people uh, actually have a spirit, okay? And, and that spirit is going to live eternally somewhere. Animals don't have a spirit. They are aware who they are. they got a personality, they, no doubt, but they don't have a spirit. And, and so uh, we, will we have them as a blessing? Sure. Uh, are they in need of redemption? No. Are they going to be redeemed? No. Okay. So, so you, you a third of the sea uh, makes blood, uh, and 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 uh, and there's imagine the waves and the tsunamis that come from this. This destroys all the ships that are there. Uh, Ten through eleven, uh, the angel blew his trumpet, and and uh, this is the third angel, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. Uh, and the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. And many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. 
I remember being young and hearing Wormwood and, and just being terrified. What in the world is Wormwood? It sounds terrible uh, because it is terrible. Um, so the third trumpet, this does not um, – uh, this that's coming toward the earth this time, unlike the the giant mountain that hit the hit the the sea, this seems to be coming apart, and we got pieces of it falling everywhere, blazing like a torch. The word here describes a a, a celestial body uh, that that is not the sun or the moon. Uh, it, it's got fiery debris that hits one third of the rivers and the springs and the water. Now, what is wormwood? Th- this comes from the word absinthos which means it was a shrub whose leaves were used in the manufacturing of, of, a, of, of a drug or a liqueur called absinthe. It was a liqueur that was so toxic it was banned in many countries. Wormwood uh, is mentioned eight times in the Old Testament. It is always associated with bitterness, poison, and death. Lots of verses. I'll give them to you. Deuteronomy twenty nine eighteen. Proverbs 5 4, Jeremiah 9 15, Jeremiah 23 15, Lamentations 3 15, Amos 5 7, Amos 6 12. And, 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 and when you look at these, you'll see it associated with all kinds of stuff, but you also see it associated three times with what? Poison water. So this fiery torch that hits now the fresh water. The drinking water will now make the drinking water death. A third of it you will not be able to consume, and it will become wormwood. Whatever poison associated with wormwood, this time it is lethal because a third of the water that we would drink becomes poisonous. And this is, and this is the first time we see human death mentioned in the trumpets. Because he's, when he blew this and he talked about wormwood, look at the end. A third of the waters became wormwood, verse 11, and many people died from the water because it had made bitter. That's the first time we see humans dying when the trumpets come out. It's not animals anymore. It's not destruction of the, uh, of the ecological system. Human beings are now dying because of the poison water. And a, th- and, and, and a third of the rivers are now poisoned. So the fourth trumpet, uh, the fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. We all know how the sun and the moon affects everything. This is bad, bad, bad. So we shift from the earth. Now we're in, he- in the heavens. A third of the sun, third of the moon, third of the stars, all struck or smitten. Uh, if you have your Bible, uh, let's turn to the book of Isaiah. Uh, I usually give you these verses, but I want to read this. Let, let's go to Isaiah. And in, in Isaiah, you're going to see uh, that, uh, that he speaks of this quite clearly. Uh, in Isaiah 13, turn to 13. And then we're going to read verses 9 and 10. Isaiah 13, verses 9 and 10, talking about the day of the Lord. Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. Look at 10. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light, 
the sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. That's, I mean, that's almost to the, to the letter of what John is seeing. And Isaiah said, oh, the day of the Lord is coming, and this is going to be part of it. And that was prophetic. Ezekiel 32, 7 and 8. Here's what Ezekiel says in chapter 32, 7 and 8. I will cover the heavens and darken the stars. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon will not give its light. All the shining lights in heaven, the stars, I will darken over you and will set, set darkness on your land. Joel weighs in. Chapter 2, verse 10. Also verse 31, and then chapter 3, 15. I put all those together for this. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness. The sun will be turned to darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord. You think these three haven't seen what John's seeing? They absolutely have. It's almost like God is actually real, and the Word of God is inspired by him. Jesus talks about this. Luke documents this in uh, chapter 21-25, Mark 13-24, and Jesus says to them, all who will listen, there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars. And so that, that is happening. Heat from the sun diminished, freezing temperatures now, weather patterns will go nuts, storms, tides, etc. But remember what I said. The things that are going on right now, mark my words, with all this, that not, that these weather, weather phenomenon. Now, when you hear the term right now and somebody uses the word unprecedented, check on that. They're not using that word the way it's correctly defined. What they really mean hadn't happened in a long time. Well, that's not unprecedented. That's actually precedented. You can say it hadn't happened in a long time, but what's going to happen here, there'll be nothing that's ever been like it before. But when all this rumbles and some people are still wanting to repent and some people are still people are screaming, this is of God, this is of God, this is of God, because of deception, what would some people believe? Well, this is global warming. Everybody told us about it. This is man-made. It's not God-made. Because some of these people are still not repenting. So look at, thir- look at we- what happens next in, in verses um, 13, and-, and we'll close. We're going to make it, Adler. Um, listen to this, man. So all this has been done. Okay. We've gone through the fourth trumpet. We still got five. We still got six and we still got seven. So everything that's happened here is really, really bad, right? But five, six, and seven, they're going to be worse. So bad that John is given a break. And once again, just like the time of silence, he sees an eagle, and the eagle is a messenger. You know, eagles and angels are always associated together. Uh, Sherry and I always, we have eagles that that are at the farm, and many times we'll look at an eagle and and think of angels watching over, even though these are eagles, but just the symbolism of that. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Remember the way it felt at the silence? We're back to something like that again. And the eagle says, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth 
at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You ever been through something and you thought, surely this is over? And somebody says, oh, we're just getting started. I, I can remember that. I remember one time, that, and it was nothing compared to this, but it's a good analogy. I remember one time a guy who was really good on our track team and a great guy. Not, nothing, it's, you know, All these things are not for everybody. But he decided he wanted to try to play football. He was a really good athlete. And um, so he, he did great during all the off-season workouts. I mean, much better than the rest of us because he was so athletic. So we got into the first three days of camp and the blazing heat and we would go out in helmets and shoulder pads, which means it's really nothing. It's not fun. It's not pleasant. But it's nothing about what's to come. And I remember after one of the helmets and shoulder pads practices, he sat down beside me, and he was sweat pouring off of him. And, and he had got bumped and practiced a little bit. We were butting off, and, but it wasn't to the ground. And he sat next to me, and he looked at me and said, Man, I hope it's not going to be that rough every day. And I said, buddy, you ain't seen nothing yet. I said, you're not going to like Thursday at all. And you know what he said? He said, I don't think this is for me. And I said, it's not for everybody. And, but but he, he handled himself like a man. He went and told the coaches, and they said, hey, man, you can really you know, win track meets for us and go back on, you know, maybe that's your thing. This, is, this ain't for everybody. But it's still that thing of tell me this is as bad as it's going to be. And the eagle says, we got to take a pause. And I pity all of you that are still on the earth. If you're still here now, these three angels that are left with the trumpets, and notice that there's three woes. It's the height of what's left of this. I mean, you, you've, got, you, you've got angels sitting here. You've got an eagle. At the height of what's left of the sun, I mean, right now the whole world, the weather weather patterns are going crazy. We have we've had all these things: a third of this, a third of that, a third of that, and all of a sudden, this eagle comes out in the middle of all this. Now, remember, when you're looking at an eagle, what are you looking to? You're looking to the heavens, and you've just seen a third of the sun go out, a third of the moon go out, a third of the stars go out. Stuff's falling out of the sky, and you're looking up toward heaven. Why? What's the eagle telling you? God's doing this. This is all coming from heaven. And he says, whoa, 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 three of them. Woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And these three woes represent three trumpets. <laughs> Judgment, destruction, condemnation. And when you see woe in Scripture, it's always before judgment. Always. Remember Jesus talking about the three cities where he'd done the overwhelming majority of his miracles? As a matter of fact, Capernaum was one of them. And, and, and if you wanted to do this, and, 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 and there's no official, but if you wanted to, I know he was born in Bethlehem, but if you wanted to say where Jesus, that if you said, hey, Jesus, you're going back home, he was going to Capernaum. 
That's where he and his disciples, he'd come over to Peter's mother-in-law and family that was there. Peter was, that's where the fishermen were. And that's where he spent, that was kind of like his, you know, his home. And he is saying, woe to these three cities, Capernaum, Chorazin, and Bethsaida. He said, woe to you. He said, if, 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 if the cities of Sodom, Sidon, and Tyre, all were destroyed because of their evilness. God wiped all three of those cities off the face of the earth because of their evilness. He said, if they had seen what God allowed you to see, they would have repented in ashes and dust. But you haven't. You've rejected me. You have not repented. God has given you every shot to acknowledge me as being 100% man, 100% God, and I am Messiah, and most of you have rejected me. How much worse will it be for you? Which is an interesting statement. On the day of judgment, then these three cities, Sodom, Tyre, and Sidon, then on them. Worse? Why worse? Because you should have known better. Anybody in here never heard the gospel? We got anybody that you've never heard the gospel. God has placed you men in this room. Now, I don't know where all y'all are from out there, but I know this room because this room's lived in the same culture that I've lived in. And in the culture we live in, the gospel is being preached around every corner. You, on your way home today, you'll go by 20 churches, and, and about half of them actually preach the gospel. Okay. Is anybody in here ever going to stand before God and say, I didn't know? Anybody? And let me tell you how he's, he's putting it to us. He's saying, Rick Burgess, let me tell you something. If you have not repented after all I've given you, and praise God I have, but let's say, let's say he was speaking to me. He would say, your apathy about what I've done makes me sicker than it does the streetwalker in Las Vegas right now. Because she hasn't heard and seen what you have. If she had, she would have repented. And you haven't repented. How much worse will it be on you? Woe to you, Rick, on the day of judgment. Because you should have known better. You don't have any excuse. I remember having a country singer that I won't name on the show one time, and she was going on and on about, what about the people that never hear? What about the people that never hear? And I said, God... That God deals with that. Paul says that he reveals himself to everybody in some way. But I, I don't really know the answer to that. God knows that answer. I don't. I said, but that don't apply to you, does it? <laughs> and she just sat there. I said, the question is, what are you going to do? I don't know what they're going to do, but you have heard. What are you going to do? I don't think that excuse will apply, that, that other people might not have known. You say, but you did. I've dealt with them. I, I'd like to deal with you because I told you everything. Woe to you if you don't repent. And you know what? These still defiant people on earth who will not repent, every single one of them will be destroyed by what's next. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. And you know what, Lord? I'm thankful, and I bet I can get amens all across this room and all across this world, I'm thankful your time of grace isn't over yet. There's still time. 
but time is running out. We're closer today in this moment to, to you handing out wrath on this earth. We're closer today to you taking your church to you. We're closer today to our earthly death than we have ever been before. That we can say with no reservation. We're closer right now than we've ever been. I pray, Lord, that you will continue to draw those to you. I pray for all who have not repented. I, I pray, Lord, that, that, that those of us that have repented, that we will then do the next thing and we continue to be sanctified and do what you told us to do, and that is to go make disciples. Why? Because the time is running out. And if you're someone says, this was my moment, Rick. I found this Bible study today. I've heard the gospel preached clearly. I see what's coming. Today's my day. I will tell you what Peter said to the crowd that said the same thing to him. Repent. Turn to 180 from your sin. You turn to Christ. Leave faith in yourself and place your face faith in Jesus and say, Jesus, as best I know how, I repent of my sin. I sincerely want to be redeemed, and I sincerely know that only you can do it. I know that you love me, but I don't love you. Teach me to love you, so then I'll obey you. If you're sincere in your heart, Scripture says that he will redeem you. If I can help you in the next steps or answer any questions, you reach out to me, rick at burgessministries.com. Thank you for the day, Lord, and thank you for the revelation that warns us that we don't need to take this lightly. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for your time.